What's going on, guys? So in this episode of the podcast, I basically want to talk about just some kind of current event things that are going on in the league and give you my two cents on these things. So uh, first thing I want to talk about is the the Miami Dolphins and their and Brian Flores' strategy of just benching Tua when, when things aren't going well. And um, I kind of talked about this a little bit on the review podcast yesterday, but basically I do, I like the decision because here's the reason why. So most of the time when you draft a quarterback, right, like you, you're, a, you're a team that is not going to win games that first year because, like, look at the Bengals, look at the Chargers, you're a, you're a team with a high draft pick. You're not necessarily a good team just yet, right? So normally this wouldn't be a strategy that you would see being deployed, especially at this point in the season, right? Because you're just like, hey, just get the young man his reps. You know, let's, let's allow him to work through it and grow. But the thing is with the Miami Dolphins, They've been a good team, especially ever since Tua has been the starter, right? They were, Fitz had them winning, I think, three straight, maybe four straight, whatever it was. They were a good team. They were above 500. And, uh, and then Flores went to Tua. And right away when that happened, I made a podcast basically giving my thoughts on that. My thoughts were, it's a fine move. Okay, that's totally fine. But um, you have to consider the veteran players, right, and what they'll, how they'll feel about it because – they're winning with Fitz. You know, they like Fitz. Fitz is one of those guys that you just really like to play for, you know, especially as a veteran player. You appreciate him and, and the way he competes and the way he's willing to put it all out there on the line for his team. And he's winning. He was making winning plays, playing maybe the best football of his career. And then you bench him, right? So now you got to think, are the veteran players going to be okay with this? And this is what one of my concerns was, what happens if Tua doesn't play well? Or what happens if Tua just doesn't play as well as Fitz? And I think what we've seen from Flores is he was very much aware of that, obviously. And he had a plan. And his plan was, if Tua doesn't play as well as Fitz, we're taking him out and we're putting Fitz in the game. Because winning will always and should always be, in my opinion, the priority, right? Right now, especially especially on a team that is a, you know, in the playoff hunt or in the playoffs at, you know, in week 16 or whatever it is. So to me, it makes perfect sense. And here's another kind of reason why. Um, look, first of all, performance-wise, we there's no there's no disputing that. You know, Tua was 17 of 22, but he, for 94 yards, averaging less than four and a half yards per pass attempt. He had one touchdown, no picks. Fitz comes in nine of 13 for 182 yards. That's 14 yards per pass attempt, guys. That's literally 10 more yards almost per pass attempt. And then one touchdown, no picks, okay? So when you looked at the immediate difference when you saw Fitz come in the game, Tua was not willing, as the broadcast kept telling you, to push the ball down the field. He just he really just wasn't willing to do it. He wasn't doing it. And, um, you know, I'm not quite sure exactly why. I think that he's mainly just used to seeing guys wide open down the football field. And in this league, you don't see that. You have to throw to a spot, and you have to you have to throw you have to throw guys open. You know what I mean? You're not going to be able to just see wide open receivers like he saw at Alabama last year and throughout his career at Alabama. You know, he's what did he have? Four first round receivers, like legitimate first rounders. I mean, Judy and Ruggs were taken in the top fifteen last last year, and what what have we seen this year? We've seen Devontae Smith. Everybody thinks he's a potential. You know, he should be in the Heisman talk. And then we've seen Waddle, who's also a first rounder. So it's like there's a debate going on within the uh, draft community uh, on who's better, Waddle or Smith. You know, so just looking at that, 
obviously Tua had a lot to work with. Then you look at Jedrick Wills and all the different offensive linemen he had that are legit NFL talent. You know, he was protected super cushy, like no, no, no worries about a pass rush. 90% of his dropbacks, right? And then he had wide open guys to throw the ball to. So that does matter when because when you're projecting, you're not going to get that in the NFL. Like the closest thing we have to that right now is, I don't know, maybe Aaron Rodgers, at least from the offensive line standpoint. But even then, he doesn't have that receiving core, right? He has Devontae Adams, but he doesn't have, you know, guys that are just absolutely obliterating their uh, cornerbacks on every single play. Like that's, that's what was going on at Alabama for, like I said, for 90% of their games. So 90% of their plays. So that obviously is, is a projection that was difficult for some. And it's the reason why I had two as my QB three. Okay. But Miami also has a top five draft pick guys. And now I'm not saying that they're ready to pull the plug on Tua, and nor should they be. But if you, let's say Tua. Two is going to be the starter next week, which is totally fine with me, and I think that's the right move. And if Tua continues to play like this and you have to go back to your quote-unquote relief pitcher a few more times, I think that it's at least worth considering that when you're on the clock at pick five, right, assuming you you lose in the first or second game of the playoffs or whatever, which I think that, you know, most people believe that that will happen. If you, if you lose there and your only impression of Tua is, well, we had to continually bring fits in to even give us a chance in big games against good teams. I think that would mean that if you find if you find yourself in position to draft a guy that you love, let's say they love Zach Wilson, and let's say he's available whenever they pick. Let's say it's pick five. Well, or or even uh, the Ohio State kid. If you get in that position and the guy's there, there's nothing wrong with taking him, in my opinion. Why? Because you also have another first rounder, right? So it's not like you're you're you know you're sacrificing the win now mode. It's not like Tua is a established you know uh, veteran player that you can that you know you've got quarterback you know you've got the quarterback box checked. Um, like I said, would I condone giving up on Tua? Absolutely not. Like if I drafted, it wouldn't be a situation where if I draft, let's say Zach Wilson at five. It wouldn't be a situation where it's Kyler Murray at in Arizona where you say, all right, let's just trade Josh Rosen, get him out of town, and you know move forward with, with Kyler as that franchise quarterback. This would not be that. This would, to me, be a situation where you say, hey, we need to make sure we get the quarterback position right. We have an, an extra, basically, top five pick on a team that's a win-now team. We still have a first-rounder later in the draft. Um, let's go ahead and just – get the right guy, right? And then let's let it be a, uh, let's get rid of Fitz after this season and let's let Tua and Zach Wilson or whoever it might be battle it out for the starting quarterback position. And look, Flores with kind of with the culture that he's establishing, which is winning over everything and winning now over everything. There's honestly, to me, there's nothing wrong with that. Like if you need, if your franchise quarterback, if you believe he's a legitimate franchise quarterback and he can't take a little competition, well, he's not going to be the guy, you know, plain and simple. If you if you have if you have to coddle him in any way, he's probably not going to be the guy because this league is a very humbling league and you need humility to get through it. So if Tua can't say, fine, you know what, like, let's go, let's let's compete. And, and if he you know, if he can't do that, then he's probably not the guy. So to me, it is a smart investment because the last thing you want to do, let's say Tua is a bust, right? The last thing you want to do is compound that mistake 
by not pa- by passing up on a guy like Zach Wilson. Let's say Zach Wilson turns out to be Josh Allen, right? You don't want to pass on that guy because you thought you might have a quarterback there. Like the Jets drafted Jamal Adams over Patrick Mahomes. You know, I'm not saying they should have given up on Sam Darnold at that point, but I don't think anybody would argue if if uh, they had Patrick Mahomes in there now throwing 40 touchdowns for the Jets. I don't think anybody would be mad about the fact that they quote unquote wasted a pick when they already had that position. You know, you know me, I'm all about drafting the best player available. And to me, if the Dolphins get on the clock at pick five and Tua is not a guaranteed franchise quarterback in their minds and they love Zach Wilson, I don't think there's anything wrong with drafting him or any other quarterback so long as they love him, so long as he's the best player on their board, and so long as Flores can communicate the message that we're about winning now and we understand the value of the quarterback position and we are going to take um, a guy, you know, we're going to get that position right first and foremost. While we're young, while we can afford it, while we have an extra top five pick, there's absolutely no reason not to, okay? Now, I just want to be very clear. I'm not saying I'm ready to give up on Tua, and I'm not saying they should draft a quarterback. I don't know. I haven't watched enough of these guys yet to have a full, strong opinion, and I also haven't seen how 2020 plays out in terms of how Tua looks down the stretch. If Tua comes out and throws for 350 and three touchdowns you know, in a playoff game and you get a win, well, now you're going to feel a whole lot different about Tua. But if he's averaging four and a half yards an attempt and you have to pull him for fits just to get competitive, you know, just to take the lead or trying to win a game to give you a better chance of winning – well, now, you know, it's it's something that that's at least on the table, right? Because, you know, it to me, you can never have enough good players at any position, but you definitely can't have enough good players at the quarterback position. And I think that Fitz is going to have to go after this year just because that obviously Fitz isn't the guy for the future. If you have a guy in there as your quote unquote relief pitcher, it might as well be a guy that could potentially be the guy, in my opinion. So that's my take on that. Um, so, yeah, I definitely like the idea of, Flores just saying, hey, Tua, you're not, you don't have it today. Don't worry. You're our future. Get out. Fitz, go in there and win us a game because winning is the priority. All right. Washington cuts Dwayne Haskins. Something else I want to talk about. Now, Haskins, for me, was my uh, QB2 in that draft. I liked him. I listened to his, um, a lot of, I watched a lot of his tape. I liked his tape. I watched a, uh, and listened to a lot of his interviews. And I thought he was a, I thought he was a natural leader. I, and this is, I know this is going to be, you know, that didn't age well. And it didn't. And, um, you know, this is, to me, the most telling part about the NFL process. Because I listened to Haskins be interviewed by guys that are former front office executives. And I, I listened to a Sirius XM show, Moving the Chains, it's what it's called. And Pat Kerwin is a former NFL executive. I heard him interview Haskins. And he, at the end of the interview, drew the same conclusions that I've drawn, which is, this kid sounds like a natural leader, sounds like a great locker room, high character guy. And then now I'm convinced that, well, Haskins hasn't played very well either, but I'm convinced that he's mainly cut because he's just not a hard worker, not a leader. I mean, he was at the strip club on when his coach has cancer, you know, violates the COVID. The coach, uh, I mean, I think Ron's actually in remission or not in chemo anymore, but still um, obviously a vulnerable, you know, quote unquote vulnerable uh, to the COVID whole thing there. And he goes to the strip club. Like to me, that alone should have gotten him cut, to be honest, because he hasn't performed all that well when he's been given opportunities. But I understand the, the thought process of like, hey, you know, he played decently well against Seattle last week. Let's see if maybe 
he can get us a win because he's they felt he was the best quarterback on their roster uh, heading into that Carolina game. So they kept him. But to me, I had the a very strong suspicion that they were going to release him after he put up a stinker of a performance after the strip club incident, puts up a stinker of a performance against the Panthers, and then declines to do his obligated interview after the game. We saw Cam Newton last night, you know, get benched. And what's he do? Comes out there. He didn't want to do it, but he came out there like a man and he delivered his press, you know, post-game press conference because he's obligated to do so. And look, like I just said a minute ago, this game requires humility. You will be humbled in the NFL. No matter who you are, there will be games where you're humble. We just saw Patrick Mahomes somewhat humbled by the Kansas, I mean by the Atlanta Falcons defense, right? It happens. You know, Carson Wentz is experiencing it right now. This game is a humbling game because the competition is so close that if you're if you're not on your A game, you are at risk of being completely embarrassed. That's just the reality of it. Haskins, um, the fact that he's not been good as a performer so far, I mean, he's 3-10 and 10 as a starter, uh, doesn't have a single game this season where he's averaged even seven yards per pass attempt, and he's had many under five, you know, so it's it's not, he's been bad, okay, and when you look at it, Ron Rivera has no obligation to this guy, this guy's a, a first-round pick from the previous regime that it wasn't even like a, they had to trade up for him, and this is why I was of the impression that during last year's draft, if they, if they loved Tua or if they loved Justin Herbert, I thought they would draft him and they should draft him over Chase Young just because the quarterback position is so damn important. I think right now, Washington football fans, as much as you love Chase Young, I think you would have been just fine taking Justin Herbert over him. Like, you know, especially if Herbert was coming out and abs- I mean, imagine this Washington team this year if they had Justin Herbert. Like the defense is still good and it would have been good without Young. If you have Herbert throwing 300 yards every other game, literally every other game that's what he's done i mean damn you know like to what could have been this this team right away could have been a serious uh contender to be honest with you so when you look at that man it just with haskins he needed to get the hell out of town in my opinion he maybe he has a fresh start somewhere else where where um you know he gets kind of revitalized or whatever and that could happen because the talent is there he's a talented kid um i mean he threw like what 50 touchdowns or whatever it was 40 touchdowns at ohio state that year and I know he had a bunch of, you know, underneath throws and things working for him, but he showed the ability to process and react at a, at a high level. And he showed accuracy and he showed the ability to push it down the field sometimes, too. So I think that the talent is there. But, guys, this is why some of these kids are so good at faking it right there, because to me, I'm a pretty damn good detector of um, that kind of stuff, at least in my opinion, I am. Haskins had me completely fooled. I thought he was a really high character kid, all about winning. I thought that he sounded like a genuine, natural leader. And what do you know? He's, to me, at this point, a guy that I don't want on my roster. So I totally understand Washington getting rid of him. And I think that uh, it may be the best for both sides. Who knows? All right. Let's talk about the Eagles. What should they do with Carson Wentz, right? Slash Jalen Hurts. So, you just gave Wentz all this money, right? He's he's uh, just now entering the, I think next year, we'll be entering the actual extension part of his contract. And while that is very, very unfortunate, when I what I mentioned earlier about, let's say, two is a bust, right? You don't want to compound your mistakes. The worst thing you want to do is make one mistake turn into multiple mistakes. So you gave Carson Wentz all this money, and then you really confused the fan base by drafting a quarterback in the second round. Well, to me... That quarterback drafting in the second round was a hedge in multiple ways. But in one of the ways, he was a hedge in case 
Carson Wentz stunk, right? In case you had to say, hey, maybe we should see if Jalen Hurts is a franchise quarterback. And now, with the three starts that we've seen from him, he beat the Saints, lost a close one to the Arizona Cardinals, and then lost uh, in what was his worst performance of the season so far, a uh, tough one to the Dallas Cowboys where he was up 14-3 through an 81-yard touchdown pass. In that game where it was his worst game, he still looked better than what we've seen from Carson Wentz basically all season long. So I'm not um, – here's my thing. I don't think I would cut Carson Wentz unless we still have one more game. If we see enough from Jalen Hurts to say – you know, screw it, like we're, we're that convinced that he is a franchise quarterback, then it's okay to me to get rid of Wentz. But what I would probably do and what I think they end up will or will do is I'd keep Carson Wentz. And I'd, and I'd go into next season with it, just a quarterback controversy, basically a QB battle. And while that may not be, you know, the most ideal situation for a locker room, it may not be, right? But to me, you've got to get this figured out. You're paying Wentz anyways. You're not sure at this point that Jalen Hurts is a franchise quarterback. And for me, I'm a guy that liked Hurts a lot. Like I, I had him as a uh, potential first round draft pick. I, I think he was, I thought he was an NFL starter. I compared him to Dak Prescott as, as his high end, right? So to me, I think that Hurts could be that guy, but I don't think we've seen enough to just say, let's just eat $100 million in dead money or whatever it would be and let's uh, get rid of Carson Wentz. But I think that if, Jalen Hurts is that guy. It doesn't hurt you as much as you would think, right? Because you were willing to not allow one mistake to become multiple mistakes. You were willing to say, let's play Jalen Hurts, despite the contract we've given Carson Wentz. Dead money to me is overrated anyways. I don't think it's as, as drastic as teams, you know, as uh, fans make it out to be. Obviously, you don't want to dump $100 million into something that is a failed asset, a failed resource. But if you have to, so be it. Cut bait. Don't don't just keep a guy playing for you that isn't a good player, like that isn't worth that money. You have to get rid of the guy because at the end of the day, even if you cut bait with a guy and you say you will, in most cases, at least save cap space the following year after you cut him, you'll have to eat a bunch of dead money. You, you maybe not save any cap space that first year, but you'll save cap space in the following year. So to me, um, if the Eagles decide, hey, like whatever, let's there's not going to be a trade market for Carson Wentz, first of all. So they're not going to be able to trade him. I mean, if you want to trade him for like a sixth round pick, you know, and, and maybe a team is it works out the money where they'll, where they'll take some of the money. I guess that would be OK. But again, in order to do that, you have to be fully convinced that Jalen Hurts is a franchise quarterback, because when you look at Carson Wentz and the things that he has done when he's had success at this level, he has been really good and he can do things physically that Jalen Hurts can't do and remember I love Jalen Hurts but Carson is like a Cam Newton type of player in terms of just his overall like rocket for an arm and you know if he gets it going again at at his high end I believe it is a little bit higher end than what Jalen Hurts can do at his peak so to me that still matters and you have to be thorough with these things you don't want to just say We've seen four starts after the season. We've seen four starts of Jalen Hurts. He played pretty well, but we went one and three. You know, let's like fully commit to him. I don't think that you have to do that. I think that what the, the logical thing to do is go through next year, go through the preseason and go through the offseason, make your decision on who's your starter. And then 
if after three games Jalen Hurts is playing well and he's your starter, then and then you're even more convinced, then do what you have to do with Carson Wentz. Cut him, trade him, whatever. But um, again, I don't think you're going to recoup a, a huge draft pick. Now, if a team said, I'm willing to give you a second or third rounder, and I'm also willing to split the dead money with you, well, that's you know a, a lot more tempting. But I think ultimately, the most important thing is to make the right decision and get your quarterback position right moving forward. So if that is, if you're confident that that's Carson Wentz, then whatever, you know, if you're confident that that's Jalen Hurts and you really believe that with your soul, well, then it doesn't matter. Get rid of Carson Wentz, eat the dead money. Who cares? At the end of the day, as long as you get the quarterback position right, that's all that matters. So to me, um, it's potentially, if Jalen Hurts is that guy, it's not it's not as bad of a situation as the Eagles fans or, you know, as, as most fans will feel. But if Carson Wentz um, is that guy, well, then you still have Jalen Hurts on a second round draft pick salary for the next three seasons. And I think that's obviously because what we've seen from him, he's a at, at worst. Jalen Hurts is a very high end backup. So I think that ultimately they will let this play out and basically just, you know, hey, Carson, get better for the offseason, maybe come back next year with a, with a clean slate and see if you can compete for the job. And that's kind of where they will leave it. And I think that's what they should do as well. All right. Uh, another thing I want to talk about is what the Jets should do with Sam Darnold and also what the Bears should do with Mitchell Trubisky. So Sam Darnold, um, the Jets now at this point are basically going to have the second pick in the draft. I think that's pretty much a foregone conclusion unless – uh, the Jaguars win, but even then, I'm not sure. I think the ja- I think the Jags have clinched number one. So um, the Jets, to me, and this is really going to sound a little bit repetitive because it's just the truth, but I think they should take, if they see a quarterback there they love, they should take him, you know. But if there's no guy that they love, then they should just draft the best player available. Now, I hear a lot of people saying, if they do keep Sam Darnold as their, you know, as their quarterback for 2021, they should trade back and accumulate picks. I don't even know how we could even say anything about them trading back right now when we don't like have that full-on feel for the draft. Number one, number two, we don't know who will be there, right? So if if obviously most likely Trevor Lawrence is is going to be the guy that's taken, right? But what I'm saying is we don't know who will be there in the sense that what are they going to trade down to number five? Because now you have to say, who's going to go at two, three, and four? I'm not quite sure there's going to be more than three guys that you're willing to say, like, that's, you know, we're willing to miss on all three of those guys because we love the fourth guy so much, right? I don't know enough about this draft class just yet to make that kind of a determination. And to me, like, I hear people saying crazy stuff like drop down to 10, pick up a haul of picks, guys. I say this all the time, like a broken record, but like when you are picking in the top two, top two picks, right? There's going to be a guy like Chase Young there, in all likelihood. If you if you move that pick down to pick five, there may be a guy like Justin Herbert there, but there may not be. And if you move down to pick ten, I mean, like you can tell me that Patrick Mahomes was the tenth overall pick in the draft, and I, I understand that, but I I could read you you know, a list of the last 20 10th overall picks in the draft. And I I would bet that you have like a 50-50 chance of getting a high-end starter. You know, that's just the reality of it. Because for every Patrick Mahomes, there is that guy that didn't pan out, you know. So um, 
And also there's guys that become good players, but maybe not great starters. Right. So I think that, uh, that that's a risky proposition. So to me, the jets, like, let's think about what they could realistically be thinking right now. Look, First and foremost, winning is most important. So I'm, I'm not going to fault them at all for what they're doing. Secondly, Justin Herbert was the third quarterback taken last year. So when you think about it, if the Chargers um, would have had that mindset of like, well, no, we need to lose so we can get the higher pick, they would have drafted Tua over Justin, Ter- over Justin Herbert possibly, right? Or even Joe Burrow over Justin Herbert, which to me doesn't look like the right pick at this point. So um, sometimes you just have to let it play out. Well, to me, all the time, you have to just let it play out, win as many games as you can. And when you get to the draft, then you figure that out. And I think that's what the Jets are doing. I think they are, when they get to the draft, they'll figure out what they want to do. And right now, my overall opinion on Sam Darnold is not a high one. Okay. I, I don't, and I know he won this game, but he still didn't perform all that well. So for me, I'm looking to draft a quarterback from the Jets if there's a guy that I love. You know, period. I'm, that's what I'm doing. But um, I understand if they if they get to like if they get to the draft, they're the sec if they if they're the second pick, which they probably will be, and they say, you know what, we don't we don't like any of these quarterbacks more than Sam, and they might come that to come to that determination because Sam they had obviously a very high grade on him coming out, even though this is a new regime. A lot of people had a very high grade on Sam coming out, so it could it could very well be that when they get to that second pick, they're like, hey, we don't love any of these quarterbacks so our options are either we take you know whoever else which maybe it's penny sewell maybe whoever it is i don't know or we trade back whatever i think that's the kind of like they'll come to that determination when they get there but at the end of the day they're gonna have a grade on sam darnold and if that quarterback that's there doesn't exceed that grade there's a good chance that they'll just take the next you know the next best player on their board if they have a board where they feel like the grades are so closely for the next five guys that they can drop down five picks and pick up a nice, nice draft haul. Well, I think they'll do that. You know, I think that makes sense. But to me, um, it's also I'm not opposed to making it doing basically doing the same situation where we do with Tua, where we draft a quarterback there and we let Sam and him battle it out. There's no reason to just trade Sam for a third round pick right now, because at the end of the day, you need to get your quarterback position right. And as we've seen with Aaron Rodgers this year, maybe, maybe that's all they need is one little kick in the ass if you draft in a quarterback in the first round. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're, uh, Sam Darnold comes out and, and taps in his full on potential. So I think that is the move there. And as far as Trubisky goes, I think that Mitch is obviously playing very well. You know, he's, he's led his team to 30 plus points over the last four games in a row. Um, he's looked phenomenal doing so i mean for him he's looked really great you know so that's awesome and stuff but i think that basically what i would do if i'm chicago is i would re-sign trubisky i'd probably ask him to do a two-year deal because i don't want to do a one in case he comes out next year and just balls out right i want to do a two-year deal with basically an option for the team for the second year so if i if i say like let's say two years 25 million bucks right and uh, 18 guaranteed, but that way, that way, you at least get give yourself an, an opportunity to save some money, so that if Trubisky flops next year, and you end up drafting a quarterback in the first round, and that guy seems to be the guy, well, now you can just dump Trubisky after 2021, and uh, you know, and you can roll with the next guy. 
But I think that the most likely and, and to me the best situation for Chicago would be to draft a quarterback if you find – if obviously this is always if you have the guy there that you love. You know, don't reach for a quarterback. Absolutely not. But I think you should re-sign Trubisky to a two-year deal for somewhere around 20 to 30 million bucks. And then, which I think he would take right now. I do, because I don't think that the demand is that exceedingly great for a quarterback to where Trubisky could go and get some kind of crazy deal somewhere else. And I think that the, the most likely of scenarios for success for him at this point would be to stick with the original team that drafted him. If that doesn't work, maybe later on he'll have the Ryan Tannehill path to success. But I think that um, he would accept a deal like that. And I think that you'd have to pay him a little bit, right? You're not, he's not going to come back for five to 10 million bucks. Like it, you're going to have to get to that 10 million and up range to, to actually um, get him to sign. But, um, but yeah, I think that there's nothing wrong with signing him to a deal like that. And then still looking to add that quarterback because at the end of the day, the most important position in football is quarterback, and you have to expend every and any resource you can and you have to get it right. So, again, there's I promise you this. The Packers front office does not give a damn that they drafted Jordan Love. They're not sitting there thinking, man, I wish we would have taken Jalen Rieger. I promise you they do not care because they still think just as highly of Jordan Love as they did before the draft. And now – Aaron Rodgers is playing at an MVP level. So there's really no downside to that. Like, oh, what's what's the downside? You you wish you had Jalen Rieger so Rodgers could throw, you know, what, an extra touchdown pass or something like what what, what do we get? What are we doing here? The guy's going completely insane. So um I don't think there's any regret there. And I don't think there's any regret, like, even if you I mean, just take just get the quarterback position right, because at the end of the day, that matters. All right, let's move on to the basically just want to talk about the state of the MVP race, because right now I, I've been seeing a lot of people basically just um, kind of giving it to Rodgers as just like the, well, Rodgers is the guy's touchdown to interception ratio and all that stuff. And I understand that. And honestly, that might be the right move, because let's face it, when you have a total of 47 touchdowns to, you know, 44 passing to just five interceptions and your team's what, 12 and three. It's hard to ignore that, right? It's really, really hard. But let's take a look at the three guys that I think are realistically all in the conversation still, even at this point in the season. I think with one game left, and that, and that one game is crucial because if Aaron Rodgers comes out and somehow has one touchdown to three interceptions next week and and Josh Allen has five touchdowns, no picks, that's going to distort some of the um, you know, overall just perception of it all. Like, so I think that that obviously, excuse me, this one game matters in my opinion. So Rogers so far this season is completing over 70% of his passes, has over 4,000 yards, but uh, just 4,059. So it's, he's actually, if you're the three guys, let me just clarify this first. The three guys are obviously to me, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. Those three guys are the ones in the conversation. And I think that at this point, I could see scenarios where any three, any of these guys win the MVP. Rodgers has the fewest passing yards of these guys. Um, Mahomes has the most with 4,740. Allen has 4,320, and, and Rodgers has 4,059. Rodgers is the guy with the, the touchdown to interception ratio is the thing that, to me, just separates Rodgers. Like, at the end of the day, man, any his team leads the NFL in scoring, by the way, which I think that matters. Um, so Rodgers obviously has had an 
insane season. And to me, he's the most likely person that will win this award right now. Patrick Mahomes over the last few weeks has kind of fallen off on in terms of just like the level of dominance that he was over most of the season, or at least because he started slow. And then he had the like the weeks where I think it began right around the time they played the Jets and it just trickled. I mean, it went for most of the season up until the last couple of weeks where he just dominated every week. And he kind of because he wasn't after the first five or six games, he was not somebody we were talking about for MVP. We weren't really, we were talking about Kyler Murray. We were talking about Russell Wilson. We were talking about a lot of different guys, not named Patrick Mahomes, but then he very much emphatically threw his ring or his hat in the ring and uh, is obviously a legitimate candidate at this point. Um, Mahomes has 40 touchdowns this season. Uh, Rogers has 47. Josh Allen has 42. So let's talk about the Josh Allen case. 69% completion, 4,320 yards, 7.9 yards an attempt. By the way, Mahomes and Rogers each are averaging 8.1 yards per pass attempt. And then Allen has 34 touchdowns to nine picks, and he also has eight rushing touchdowns. So that part is uh, where Allen kind of separates himself because when you look at it, Green Bay, statistically speaking, has the eighth-ranked rushing offense, right? They are the eighth-best run game in the NFL. And last, uh, just, just last Sunday, we saw, we saw them have well over 200 yards, and we saw A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones really – I mean, I think they, they each had 94 yards or more. So that was uh, obviously a very impressive performance by them, and, and that's really been something that the Green Bay run game has been doing all season long. So when you look at – Here's the argument to me, if I was to make one against Aaron Rodgers in favor of one of these other guys. Green Bay, yes, they lead the NFL in scoring, and that obviously matters, but they have the 8th-ranked rushing offense where the Chiefs have the 15th-ranked run game, and the Bills are 19th. But guess what? Josh Allen has 25% of the Bills' rushing offense, right? So uh, in terms of yards, in terms of the yards, and, he, and he's their leader in touchdowns. So... When you think about it that way, um, who's doing more for their team? And now consider this. The Green Bay Packers were 13-3 and last year with Rodgers having, a, by his standards, an average year, right? And I know you're going to talk to me about touchdown interception ratio. I get it. But I think we can all agree Aaron Rodgers has been a lot better this season. And they have the exact same record. So it's like, is he that much more valuable? Like when I see... MVP, right? Most valuable player. Like who, which of these three guys is the most valuable to their team? And when you think about what Josh Allen's bills were last season, they were a playoff team. You know, Josh was good last year, but now this team is a Super Bowl contender and it's literally all because of the the improvement of Josh Allen, the, the, the step he's taken from good quarterback to elite no question about it an elite quarterback that has been the difference in this bills team that for most of the season has had a defense that's not been as good as last year has had a run game that's not been as good as last year so josh allen has been much better than last year and because of that the team is much better so to me that's the argument for allen and why i actually kind of think he is the most valuable player in terms of the success of his team because Mahomes last year had a slightly lesser in terms of a statistical season uh, than he has this year. 
and a lesser one than he, a much lesser one than he had the previous year where he won the MVP. So when you look at his team's success, however, they were obviously the Super Bowl champions last year. So, and obviously in the playoffs, Mahomes played much better um, in terms of just, you know, this, what he had to do from a statistical standpoint and productivity standpoint. But the Chiefs defense was one of the best defenses in the NFL um, really since the back half of last year all the way until this season. They're still the sixth best scoring defense in the NFL. You know, so when you look at it, I know um, we've, you know, Patrick Mahomes is right up there in terms of value. Like, I mean, literally basically the same thing, maybe slightly lesser because if how much better would the chiefs be if Mahomes were to have like the, the 50 touchdowns, you know, that he had in 2018, I'm not sure they'd be any, I mean, could they be any better? Right. So to me, the chiefs were so good because for most of the season, they were a top 10 rushing team. Josh Allen has had nothing from his running backs for almost the entire season in terms of run rushing yards. So, and then for like, other than the last five games, his defense was subpar. So to me, if you were to make a case for, for Josh Allen, it would be that he's doing the most for his team. And I think that's an, a decent argument and uh, one that you could make. But honestly, when it's all said and done, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be your MVP. But if he comes out next week and has a dud and Josh Allen goes crazy again or Mahomes goes crazy, I don't th- see what's going to hurt Mahomes is the fact that he's had two, by his standards, subpar games over the last two two weeks, right? So those two games, whereas Josh Allen's last two games have been absolutely dazzling, right? They've been just uh, you know on prime time because it was a Saturday game um, where it was nationally televised game against the Broncos. He has four total touchdowns. His team dominates Denver, and then a game against New England on Monday Night Football where he dominates, and then the previous week against the Steelers on Sunday Night Football. He starts slow, but finishes in dominant fashion, and they dominate the Pittsburgh Steelers. So if he puts together another one of those next week, and Rodgers and Mahomes, really Mahomes to me is the odd man out, because even if he has a great game, the overall perception of those previous two is still going to linger on the voters' minds. So, and Rodgers, uh, not this week, but the week before against Carolina, had a you know subpar performance by his standards for this season. So... That's where Allen has a chance still, in my opinion. And I think ultimately, if I had to bet money on it, I'm taking Rodgers because he has the most touchdowns, the touchdown to interception ratio. When you just look at his raw stats, it's insane to look at. But if Josh Allen has a 10% chance, 20% chance to win this thing, it all hinges on Rodgers having a bad game next week by his standards. You know, I know he's not going to have a bad game because that really hasn't existed all season other than Tampa. Um, But it has to be a Rodgers bad game and it has to be a Josh Allen juggernaut. I think that's the only way um, he has a chance. And if that does happen, I think he wins it, to be honest with you, because that would be just such a strong finish compared to what would be at that point two subpar games for Rodgers down the stretch. So that to me would give Allen a chance and uh, really to give him the award. Last thing I want to talk about, and this one is kind of near and dear to my heart, is uh, the future of Cam Newton in New England. So when I looked at Cam, you know, his performance obviously last night was was subpar for him. And, and like, I don't think he's physically washed up. I think that the shoulder, from a throwing standpoint, is obviously not what it once was. 
But I think that when you just look at his overall weaponry there in, in New England, it's tough, man. When you don't like a lot of people th- seem to think that this New England offensive line is dominant. They are not dominant. They are a very good run blocking unit. They're very physical. You know, they're, they're maulers in the run game. They are. But they're not very good in terms of pass protection. He is one of the highest pressured quarterbacks in the NFL in terms of pressure rate, right? So that obviously matters. When you combine that, and I think that's that's almost the end-all be-all. Like if you can't protect your quarterback, it's hard for him to have success, okay? When you combine that with the fact that he's his number one receiver right now is an undrafted second-year player in Jacoby Myers. You know, Edelman's been out for most of the season. And when we did see Cam with Edelman, he was thrown for 400 yards in Seattle, right? Like we, we saw Cam Newton succeed when he had at least, you know, Julian Edelman there. Now you've got no Edelman. You've got a second-year UDFA in Jacoby Myers, who, by the way, has is proving himself to be a solid player. But I, I would not be shocked in two years if Jacoby Myers is the fourth wide receiver somewhere. I wouldn't be. No disrespect to him. I think he's very capable. I think he's a good route runner. And I don't think that that will happen to him. I'm just saying I wouldn't be shocked, right, if, if um, you know, on a team like Buffalo, he, if he's their fourth receiver. You know what I mean? Because I think he would be. If you have Diggs, John Brown, Gabriel Davis, Cole Beasley, like, I mean, I don't know. So when you look at it like that, it's, guys, if you can't, if you're not protected and you have no one to throw to, it's going to be very difficult to have success as a passer in this league. We saw Tom Brady in this same offense last year, basically, and we saw Brady struggling mightily over the second half of the season. And um, everybody thought Tom Brady was washed up. You know, oh, Brady sucks. Brady's washed. His arm is shot, this, that, and the other. He goes into Tampa, and there's still plenty of Brady haters, but the point is he goes into Tampa with a bunch of weapons and an offensive line that's protecting him, and all of a sudden his arm looks like it's revitalized. That's not a coincidence. Right. So Cam, obviously, there are Cam had one of the biggest arms in the NFL for most of his career. Okay, now that the shoulder is a little iffy after a couple surgeries and things like that, I don't think his shoulder or his total arm strength is what it once was. But I still believe that this guy is one of the is one of, if not the best running quarterbacks in the NFL still, especially in terms of red zone running. He is the best uh, goal line running back in the NFL, probably. Right. And he's a quarterback that can also throw accurately, make good decisions and process and react at a high level. The issue that I'm seeing with Cam right now is and I watched his a little bit of his postgame presser last night. Respect to him for showing up and not being a Dwayne Haskins. And then Cam would never do that. I know he walked out on the Super Bowl interview, but that was to me pretty extreme circumstances because there were Chris Harris is like literally, you know, within shouting distance and telling the reporters that their game plan was to make Cam Newton beat them and they knew that he couldn't beat them. And, and it's like the dude was devastated after losing the Super Bowl because he's a serious competitor, someone that absolutely hates to lose. And um, honestly, I don't blame him for walking out of there. But by all other accounts for Cam's career, he has been a man when it, you know, and, and he's handled losing like a man, like a champion. So the only thing I don't, I don't like to see is, just listening to him last night when they're, you know, talk, like he seems mentally defeated because when you are a guy that hates to lose as much as Cam hates to lose and expects so much from yourself as Cam does, 
it's hard to sit there and to know what you're doing in terms of how you're performing, how you're producing. It's hard to sit there and, and you know, not be mentally defeated. It's hard to sit there and be like, no, you know, I just think that um, he's not going to make excuses, right? So the, the excuses I'm making for him essentially right now are that he has no weapons and he has no offensive line in terms of pass protection. When same things I was saying about Brady last year, right? Those are excuses that Cam's not going to make because he looks at himself and says, I need to be able to perform anyways. I need to be able to perform at a high level regardless of my surroundings. And the fact that he has that mindset, and uh, and I agree with that mindset, is showing and is contributing to the fact that he's more mentally, mentally, de- he's more mentally defeated. You know what I mean? And it just seems to me, I worry, is Cam mentally like shot? You know, because he got cut by Carolina. That takes a toll on your confidence. He goes to New England. Things start off pretty well, right? At first two weeks, they're, they're um, you know, looking like a good team. One and one, almost beat Seattle in Seattle. Cam drove him down the field, uh, got him all the way to the one-yard line. And, and actually, I think he had a dropped touchdown pass on that drive that would have won the game. Threw for almost 400. And then Edelman goes out, right? And now we see this slowly but surely the COVID thing happened and that just really derailed his season because he has not been the same since then. I'm not sure. I don't think it's necessarily COVID, but I think that just the disruption in rhythm along with Edelman going out and, you know, the just the toll that is not having anyone to throw to and not being able to have the protection you need is all kind of catching up to him. And now the media is obviously, you know, oh, Cam's not this, that, and the other. He's not the same. It's tough. When you look at his when you look at his stat line, it's pretty bad looking in terms of a passer from a passing standpoint. So all that, you know, it's tough to uh, say. But what I would still do if I'm New England is I would keep I would re-sign him to a one or two year deal. And I think you're gonna be able to get him for less than Chicago would be to get Trubisky. Sign him, you know, because here's the thing. New England's gonna be picking too high to get one of the quote unquote top quarterbacks, right? Because they're, I mean, they're too low. I'm sorry. They're going to be picking too low to get one of those guys. They've already got six wins, and I bet they win next week. I don't know who they play, but there's a decent chance they're going to win next week because I don't see the Patriots going out like that, right? I think they're going to come out strong next week regardless of who they play. I think they play the Jets, if I, if I recall correctly. And if they do, I would bet the house on New England because I don't think they're going to finish the way that they looked last night. Um, and I think you should just, look, do your best to retain Cam, Tell him, look, there's nothing guaranteed, but we're going to add some weapons. We're going to we're going to probably add another quarterback in free agency or the draft or whatever. And there'll be a competition and let him compete. You know what I mean? If, if he doesn't pan out, cut him, because I don't think you're going to have to give him some crazy signing bonus money. Um, but I think that continuity is important. It's the most important thing, in my opinion, when you're building a team. And Belichick is essentially on the fly rebuilding. These Patriots are going to get a bunch of guys back from COVID. They had the most COVID opt-outs. Uh, not that they had COVID, but they, they had the most people, players opt out because of COVID. So they're going to get a lot of their defensive starters back next year. This defense should be at minimum a top five defense next season, uh, assuming they bring back Gilmore and stuff like that, which I think they will. So when you look at that, you look at, okay, we're going to have a top five defense. If we can somehow add, and the Patriots have the second most cap space in the NFL, we can somehow add a guy like Allen Robinson, right? Or just add a few good receivers. You need some receivers. Add some offensive line help. You know, the guys that can actually pass protect. Now, bring Cam Newton back for a year of continuity, right? 
and then have him compete with somebody else that you bring in. Even if you draft a guy in the first round, like let's say you say you like Kyle Trask, right? Belichick loves Kyle Trask. He drafts him in the first round. Cam wins a starting job. Okay, fine. Cam goes out there and plays. Um, at a at a, I think that there's a chance Cam plays at a pretty high level next year. I don't think you'll ever see MVP Super Cam levels of play, but I don't think you're paying him for that. I think you're paying him to come in and be a solid starter. And I think um, if he's not, then you move on. You know, no big deal. And you, you go with the rookie or you go with somebody like Jimmy Garoppolo or whoever it might be, Jameis Winston, who knows. But I don't think, just as there is with any team, Belichick is not immune to this. Quarterback is the most important position in football. And being that you're not going to be able to draft super high to get the guy you want, like they're not in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes, I think just, you know, keeping Cam, bringing them back because you have to figure that out before the draft. Bring Cam Newton back. Have him compete with whoever you bring in, whether it's draft or free agency, and bring your all your starters back on defense. Add some add some playmakers on offense. You know, even if you keep the same offensive line, that's fine because they they'll have they'll be a year more experience and a year of continuity at, at if nothing else, right? So they'll be a little bit better next year in terms of pass protection. Bring that back with some playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. Now you've got an opportunity to to put your quarterback in a position where he doesn't have to where it's a little bit easier on him. Right. So I think that would be a reasonable um, plan for them. And I think that's something that they will do and should do. I I honestly believe that they'll bring him back next year. And I think that's the right move because it's not going to cost you much money. It's it's not going to cost you anything guaranteed anyways. Right. I I think that, you know, it's going to be relatively cheap. So that's what I would do. And honestly, if I had to bet money on it, I'd I'd, I'd expect New England to, to do the same. So. Um, anyways, guys, that's what I've got for you in this podcast. I want to just kind of touch on a bunch of basically news, newsy stuff, but give you my opinion on just kind of the current state of um, what to look 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 at right now in the NFL. And then also want to let you know I'm going to be watching more and more tape on the college guys. Um, let me know if you want me to like what position groups you want me to go after first. I'm going to try and watch five or six guys, five to ten guys, maybe from each group, and then do some podcasts on them to basically let you know my thoughts on them as I watch them. And then I'll have some more stuff, um, just random podcasts coming this week too. So um, yeah, so that's what I've got for you. I appreciate all you guys for listening and I will talk to you later.